Good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you are new with us, we, uh, we are so glad that you are here. We are in the final part of a series called Disconnected. And if you've, if you've missed any of this series, we've talked about uh, several things. The first week we talked about conflict. Uh, the next week we talked about racism. Last week we talked about sexuality. And so if you missed any of that, you missed a lot. And so we'd invite you to go back and listen. You can do that in a few ways. Facebook Live, we video uh, these sermons at archives that you go back and watch it on Facebook Live from our Facebook page. You can go to iTunes, subscribe to our podcast, the website, all of those ways to catch up. But today, uh, we're ending the series talking about technology. And it's fitting that we're ending it talking about technology, but because in, in some ways, this sermon encapsulates the whole series. Right? What we've said throughout this series is that there's so many ways in our culture to connect, but if you actually look a little bit closer, everybody is disconnected. Right? Technology applies to that more than anything else. And so as we look at technology, I want us to, to look at the Bible and see some principles from God's Word to see how to apply it to this new digital age, but we all have to acknowledge this is a new age, isn't it? I, I, things have changed dramatically. I mean, I just think about uh, the word text used to just be a noun. It used to be the text, the literature. Some of you are so confused right now. You're like, did it? I don't know. Text is something I do. It's a verb, right? It used to be a noun. Like things have changed. Our grammar has changed because of technology, right? Ten years ago, ten plus years ago, what did you do at a, at a stoplight? What did you do in the bathroom? Nothing, right? You did nothing. Now what do you do at a stoplight? You get out your phone, you listen to music, you got a, a few things going on. In the bathroom, you are multitasking like never before. You are so effective and efficient in your work. In the bathroom, things have changed, haven't they? I think about even my kids. I have three kids. It used to be when I was a kid, I'm sure some of you can relate to this, when I was a kid, you waited all week to get to Saturday morning for what? Cartoons. Now my three-year-old daughter gets Sophia the First on demand anytime she wants. Right? Things are, are different, right? The landscape has changed when it comes to technology. Again, my three-year-old daughter, she will never know the name Alexa the way I knew it growing up. She'll never know it just as a name. She will associate with Alexa, Alexa with a device that she gives instructions to, and it does it. And it talks back. And think about this. She is three. That's the only world she will ever know. Which many of us in this room, we've lived a lot of years, some of us more than others, a lot of years where that was never a factor. That's the world that my daughter was born into. So we have to acknowledge, how is that affecting us? How is that changing us? How do we navigate that in a healthy way? And, and I just want to acknowledge as I say those things, that in three to five years, someone's going to listen to this sermon on a podcast, on audio somewhere, and they're going to be listening, and they're going to be thinking, that guy was so clueless. Like Alexa, like Netflix. I mean, we've gone so far beyond that. I mean, that guy was so outdated, because it's not slowing down, right? It is changing rapidly, and it will continue to do so. Now, here's the point where I have to say this, because all of us right now are feeling like a little bit, okay, where's he going with this? Like, Tim, is it going to be like technology? Stay away. Like, move to Montana. 
Go to Sholo. Churn your own butter. Delete Facebook. Right? At, at the end of the sermon, like, are we going to have to come, Tim, and bring our phones and just lay them at the altar and set them on fire? Like, is that where this is headed? Like, technology is bad. Stay away. And, and what I would say is this. No. Just a, can we take a sigh of relief, breath? We're not going there today, right? The reality is technology can be good for many things. I said we Facebook Live our sermons. Like, people across the world can watch our sermons on video right now. Facebook Live. Technology can be a way that we get the gospel of Jesus Christ out in ways that we never have before. Technology can be good, but it can also be an evil. So we want to talk about how do we navigate that? Not how do we exit technology, but how do we engage it? And so we're going to look at that. Philippians chapter 4. If you didn't earlier, grab your Bible and look at that with us. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8. This is the Apostle Paul. He is writing to the church at Philippi. We're going to see just how to navigate relationships and see how that applies to technology. If you take notes, here's our first point, how we engage. Verses 4 and 5, how we engage. The first thing you see, look at the text. In verse 4 is rejoice twice. So again, the purpose this morning, God's purpose in life is not to shame you out of your obstacles and sins and struggles. God's purpose for you is joy, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. You see, the reality is, here, here is my goal for this sermon. It's not even to talk about technology. My goal for this sermon, my goal for your life, God, more importantly, his goal for your life is to have a full life, a joy-filled life. But to do that, we have to talk about something that often inhibits our joy, which is Technology, that we need to put technology in its proper place. And again, as we look at that, we have to realize that most of us and much of our world has not put it in its proper place. We put it in first place. And that's happened, again, rapidly. If you think about it, Instagram was founded in 2010, eight years ago. Now, just think about this with me. Doesn't it feel like we've been taking selfies for a lot longer than that? feels like that's our whole life. Like, I never knew a life where I couldn't just scroll through images on Instagram. 2010, it was founded. Google, 20 years ago, 1998. And some of you college students are thinking, how could life exist without Google? Like, how would we find anything? How do we know where to go? Well, there was a thing called the map. And it was a piece of paper, Right? There was a thing called the Encyclopedia Britannica. Anybody remember that? Writing a research paper. But Google, only 20 years. Facebook, founded in 2004. Originally, you guys remember this? Facebook was just for college students. And they, then they realized that's a mistake financially. Right? We can expand this thing and blow this thing up way beyond college students. And that was only 2004. The first iPhone was 2007. I remember when it came out because I was thinking this is going to be everything in one, right? Everything that we need, a, a watch, an iPod. You guys remember those? We can listen to music. We can browse the web, and it's all wrapped up in one, an iPhone. That was just 11 years ago. So if you think about it, if you have a, an 11-year-old kid 
your 11-year-old has been competing with that screen, with that iPhone, their entire life. 11 years. Things are rapidly changing. Things have become first place in our lives in regard to technology. And the reality is we don't really even know what it's doing to us. A guy named Dimitri Christakis, he's the director of the Center for Child Health at Seattle Children's Research Institute. He said this when he was being interviewed about technology and how it affects the next generation. And he said, hey, we know some things. But he said, we are in the midst of a large, uncontrolled experiment on the next generation. That, that we haven't had a lifetime of this. Remember, all these things, last 10 years, 20 years. We haven't had a lifetime to realize how technology being in the first place in our life affects us. We don't even know yet. But we do know some things. One study I read said this, 68% of 18 to 34-year-olds do not go one hour without checking their phone. 74% check their phone in bed so that it's the last thing you do before you go to sleep. It's the first thing you do when you wake up. Think about what else in your life is like that. I don't know of anything else. That we have a unique relationship to technology. The first thing we do when we get up in the morning, the last thing we do before we go to bed, it bookends our day, right? And we know this. And we know a little bit how it affects us, that it affects us intellectually, that the average IQ has dropped 14 points over the past century. 14 points. The average attention span has decreased to now eight seconds. You've probably heard this, one second short of a goldfish. Okay. This is affecting us intellectually, and, and that's kind of weird if you think about it, right? Because on our devices, we have information to the whole world. Anytime we want, we don't have to go to an Encyclopedia Britannica. You don't have to go pull a resource from the library. You have the library, you have the World Wide Web on your phone, in your pocket. You can get information anywhere at any time, but the reality is because we can get information anywhere at any time, it is invaded every time and every place, right? So what would, you would think would make us smarter is actually not doing that at all. It affects us intellectually. It affects us physically. I just read an article on decreased hand strength in kids. This was fascinating. Again, my wife works at a school. Uh, the, one of the third grade teachers sent this article out to all the, the, the teachers in the school because it's a real issue. She's like, hey, these kids in my third grade class, they, they don't know how to grip things with their hands anymore. And it's because they're always doing this, which maybe builds some muscle. I, I don't know the stats on that. But they're not doing this on the monkey bars. Right? They're not digging in the sand anymore. And so their, their hand strength is getting weaker. But, but here's what I know is a lot of us are thinking, yeah, these kids today. Right? Some of you are thinking, man, I deleted my Facebook a long time ago. Like he's not talking to me. And you're thinking about all the, the millennials and the kids out there. They don't know what's really good for them. They don't know how to get outside and do things with their hands. They're just consumers, not creators, right? But the reality is this isn't just a kid problem. This is a, an all of us problem. 
Like I've seen grandmothers on their iPad for hours on end while their grandkids sit in front of them that they so want to see, but they're looking at what other people are doing on social media or they're playing Candy Crush. That's a grandmother. Have you seen this? I've seen it a little bit more personal. I've seen it in my life. I, I, I'm doing something. I have something I'm working on, and maybe I, I come across a problem that I can't solve, and I'm sitting in my chair, and instead of, like, walking around, I'm going to ask somebody a question or stirring something up in my mind or heart through another avenue, I pop out of that work project. Just let me see what's going on in the day with everybody else. Do you do that? And we just do it almost involuntarily. We just get out our phone. And we, just, we don't even know what's going on. And, and it's affecting us physically, all of us. It's affecting us relationally. Uh, there's a book in the lobby. It's called The TechWise Family. And we want you to get that book. It's $10. $10. I think it, it resells for $15. Retails for $15. We want to give it to you for $10. It's at the back table in the lobby. And it's a book, even if you don't have kids or have a family, it helps. It's got 10 things that it goes through practically, how to navigate com or technology in a healthy way. And one of the things in the first opening pages of the book, it talks about the obstacles for parents to today. And it goes through them, and it says the first obstacle, the most difficult, as they surveyed parents across the country, was technology. That parenting today, the most difficult obstacle is technology. That was over, listen, the world being more dangerous. That was over bullying. That was over and above the lack of common morality. That was over and above academic pressure that the most difficult part of being a parent today is dealing with this new wave of technology. It affects us relationally with our kids. It affects us with our friendships as we experience something called FOMO. You guys know what FOMO is? The fear of missing out. Yeah. It's affected us relationally, ironically, that many times we go to technology, we go to social media because of a fear of missing out, Right? Because we're worried that something's going to go on in our world, something's going to go on in our relationships, and we won't know about it. And I say ironically because as we go with that motivation, fear of missing out, as we go to that social media, as we go to check in on what everybody's doing, what the world is doing, as we do that, as we scroll through and we see that picture of our friend at the beach, and you are at work, and what occurs in that moment the fear of missing out. I wish I was at the beach. I must be nice. I mean, how did they take so many vacations? Like, where do they work? I, I've never, I mean, I've been to a beach, but I've never been to water that clear. Right? Do they ever work? Like, I mean, and it starts to bring up this fear of missing out. As you had this fear of missing out and you went to solve that, it created it even more and there's a disconnect in your friendships. Right? There, there are times when your friend is blowing you off and they're just too busy for you, right? They're just overwhelmed at work, overwhelmed with family, right? They just don't have time. You're like, man, I just feel like I haven't seen you in so long. Like I really wanna hang out with my friend. And, and, and they don't have time 
but somehow they update their news feed every hour on the hour. And you see that and you're like, well, they had time to check that. They had time to post it on their news feed. I sent them a text an hour ago, no response. Now, all of us chuckle because we've either done that or been the recipient of that. Amen? Can we just all amen that? We've all experienced this. It's affecting us relationally, intellectually, but it's also affecting us spiritually. What's the biggest reason we don't read our Bible, pray, walk closely with God? What's the biggest reason we give? Too busy. I got too much going on. But again, if we look at our lives, we're like, well, where do I actually spend my time? Studies show we spend about seven hours per day in front of some screen. TV, computer, laptop, phone, iPad. And at first, when you think about like seven hours in a day, like, is that possible? And if you just add up all those things and all those different screens, you're like, yeah, at least that, right? It's affecting us Spiritually, like we don't have time to engage in God's word, in prayer, in conversations about God and his word with other people. Like I don't have time to do those things, but the reality is we do have time. We're just not intentional with our time. So this is disconnecting us spiritually, relationally, physically, intellectually, and we need help. And Paul gives us some help. To engage in this, I want you to look at verse 5 again with me. We see three things, three words or phrases I want you to hone in on. The first one is this, reasonableness. Paul says, let everyone be reasonable. Now, as I read that, my first thought was, why reasonable? Some translations, maybe your translation says gentleness. Let your reasonableness be made known, your gentleness be made known. Like, why not love? Why not let your truth be made known? You see, I think the reality is because in their day, just like in our day, Paul knew that we would struggle with this. We'd struggle to be reasonable, to be gentle, that we wouldn't see people as created in the image of God with inherent dignity and worth. Again, we talked about this a few weeks ago, empathizing with them, that talking to them as people, not a point to debate or destroy, but as real life people who God created in his image, that he knew that our very basic struggle would just be being reasonable with one another, being gentle with one another, that that, that Paul knew the power in that, the power when you are gentle, when you are reasonable, the impact that could make in someone's life. And so he says, be reasonable. Now, again, something we can all amen, as we look at technology, we are anything but reasonable. Amen? We have a culture of outrage, not gentleness. We have a culture of jealousy, FOMO, not gentleness, not reasonableness. And so Paul says, Be reasonable. Listen, Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, I know not everybody is here today, but if you say, I follow Jesus, you are not just in this country, you are in his kingdom. That's your citizenship. That's your home. And so we are to live 
that way. We are to engage in technology that way that people should look at Christians, no matter what your view is politically, no matter what your personality is. Well, I just like to speak my mind. No matter what your personality, no matter what your political persuasion, that people could look at Christians and say, they're reasonable, they're gentle. Man, they disagree, but they do it gently. They hold to their position. They uphold truth, but they do it in a different way. They're, they're gentle about it. They're reasonable. Like, I want to give them my ear. Other people, I don't. But, man, that Christian guy at my work, that Christian guy that's friends with me on Facebook, I mean, he just seems reasonable about it. He's passionate, but he's He's reasonable. Can we just think about for a minute, how would that change our world? How would that change our technology if we were just reasonable? Paul says, be reasonable. The second thing he says is, to everyone. To everyone. Not just people like you. Not just people that are in your political party. Not just people in your family. Not just people of your ethnicity. To everyone. Again, Paul knew because we'd be like, well, what about that guy? I can't be reasonable with him. I mean, what about my ex-husband? I mean, he's never reasonable. I can't be reasonable with him. I mean, what about that past boyfriend? Like, I can't, that coworker, that boss, I mean, they're not reasonable. Tim, surely not everyone. Paul says, no, everyone. Do you have to agree with everyone? No. Do you have to be best friends with everyone? No. Are there some people you need to get some distance from, some boundaries from? Yes. But can you be reasonable and gentle? Yes. This is the mark of a Christian, especially in a world of technology. So we should be reasonable. We should be reasonable to everyone. Why? Just because we're good Christians? Because that's the moral thing to do? No, Paul says, because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Jesus is coming back. This world is not all that we're living for. There will be a new heavens, a new earth, a redemptive world, a redemptive people, and that we live with an eternal view towards that. And so we don't get outraged at the littlest thing online. Right? We, we don't go at someone and slander them and destroy them and destroy their personhood. Instead of just debating a point, we don't do that. Why? Because we have an eternal viewpoint. We know this life is not all there is. The Lord is at hand. Jesus is coming back. And if Jesus is coming back, how am I living in light of that truth? How am I engaging with other people, specifically online, in light of that truth? How am I living my life? The book of James says life is a vapor. Here one day, gone the next. That we would ask ourselves the question, that we would all do this today, how am I living my life? Where am I investing my time in light of the eventual glorious return of Jesus Christ? How are we living our lives? My wife and I were talking about that this week. As I prepare for this, um, most often I don't study the text, it studies me. Because I struggle with this. And so we began to talk about, we went on a date last night, we were just talking about, man, how do we 
be more engaged in our, in our kids' lives, in our lives? Like, how do we do this more often, like face-to-face, not just shoulder-to-shoulder? You've been there, married couples? How do we do this more often? How do we engage our kids more often? I mean, it's so complex. Every season brings new challenges, new joys, but also new challenges. Like, how do we do this? And we just talked about, like, in light of eternity, in light of the fact that Jesus is returning, the Lord is at hand. And we need to adjust some things in our lives. I want, as a dad, I want my kids to remember me not on my phone, but on the floor. Playing with their toys. Asking them about their day. What was the, the high point of your day? What was the low point of your day? What did that person say to you? Yeah, let's, let's hone in on that. Let's talk about that. Here's what scripture says. Let's dig into that. Like, I want to talk to my kids and my wife with a full face. Why? Because that's a good thing to do as a father? Because I'm a pastor? Because I'm a Christian? No, because Jesus Christ is coming back to make all things new. And we will live with him and worship him in all of eternity. Because life is a vapor, so I want what I want today, I want what I do today to matter, to count. I don't want to waste it. And so why do we do these things? The reality is Jesus is returning. Amen? Do we believe that? Then let's live like that. That's what Paul is calling us to. So how we engage in technology, it comes back to an eternal mindset in view of Jesus Christ, living functionally every day like that. Leads us to our second point, what we engage in. Verses 6 through 8. Verse 6 says this, do not be anxious about anything. It brings up anxiety. I think anxiety is very applicable to this conversation about technology because they are typically directly related. Right? Anxiety is not just the lack of peace, which it talks about. Anxiety is an incompleteness in your soul, a busyness in your soul, soul that even when your body stops, your mind, your soul continue to race. That's anxiety. Many of us feel that anxiety when we go to technology. Again, that book that's in the lobby, TechWise Family, it says this, life online is a whiplash between deep sorrow, unexpected joy, cheap laughs, profound thoughts, and dumb memes. Now that's true, right? Like how many of you have experienced some anxiety looking at technology? How many of you don't know why? Just a few minutes on your phone, on your computer, on your laptop, email, social media, this, that. And like 20 minutes later, you're like, I feel worried. Like I feel anxious. I don't even know what it is. You ever scrolled back through your news feed? Like what post made me anxious? Whose fault is this? Like we're anxious and we don't even know why. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Now, some of us may push back and say, well, Tim, it's just shows. I mean, it's just sports. It's just a little escape. I mean, I'm not looking at porn. I'm not doing insider training, insider trading. I'm not doing anything illegal on technology. I mean, sure, I go to these devices and I do all these things, and maybe I do get a little bit anxious, but that's everybody. That's our world today. Like, what's the big deal? 
probably true. Like maybe some of you aren't doing anything illegal. Maybe some of you aren't engaging in pornographic images. But over and over as you engage in that distraction, as it begins to well up anxiety in you, it not only disconnects you from other people or God, it disconnects you from you. You don't even know yourself. You don't even know why you're, you're feeling the way you feel. Therefore, you don't know how to deal with it, right? You just, why is that feeling there? Why do I feel like this? What happened? What caused that? I don't know. Just keep going. Just scroll a little bit more. Maybe it'll go away. Just watch this. Just read this blog. And maybe it'll just go away. Listen, the danger is you can be disconnected from yourself. We have a culture who doesn't know themselves. And we're anxious. And we don't even know why. Well, Paul gives us a better way to deal with our anxiety than that. Look back at verse 6. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by, that's the form, prayer, talking to God, supplication, giving God those specifics that as you begin to learn yourself and learn what makes you anxious, you begin to lift up those things specifically to God. Supplication. That with thanksgiving, you don't whine about it, you don't spend all all the time complaining about it, but you're grateful to God and you give these things to God gratefully to a God who loves you and you let your requests be made known to God. I love that Paul puts that in the passive tense. You let your requests be made known. Letting your requests be made known. It's the idea that our inclination is to suppress, not express. Our inclination is to push down that anxiety, to push down that conflict, to push down that technology and think, I got it handled. I can manage this. I can get through my anxiety. I just need a little bit more escape. I just need to watch a little show. We suppress and we suppress and we suppress. And what Paul is saying, let it rise. Letting your requests be made known to God. Why? Because that's what they want to do. They're not meant to be suppressed and pushed down. They're meant to to rise. Letting your requests be made known to God, that that journaling to God, that talking to God, saying, God, I don't even know why I'm feeling this way, but I'm going to get to the bottom of it now. I'm going to just start writing. I'm going to just start talking and expressing my feelings, my emotions, what's going on, my day, what's happened so far to this point, that we express it, we surrender it, we let it rise. Because then it can be healed, then it can be dealt with. Paul's remedy is not to suppress, but to express. Verse 8, Paul says, finally, finally, brothers, what is true, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That we don't just express instead of suppress. Like instead of suppressing, we replace. We replace it with whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, the idea there, the implication there, there is. Right? There is. There's, there's God himself, his character, his nature, his person, and his work. There's all that he's done in your life. There's the breath that you have when you wake up in the morning. 
There's the new mercies that you experience every single day. There is the fact that you can be whatever your struggle is with technology, sexually, racially, that you can be called in the name of Jesus Christ a child of God. Whatever is true, whatever is commendable, whatever is lovely, that there are some things if you know Jesus Christ. Amen? You don't just suppress it. You replace it with something better. The Puritans always used to say this, that how do you dislodge a beautiful thing from the heart? You just try to rip it out. Like technology, just get out of here. Outrage culture, just just stop being so outrageous. How do you dislodge a beautiful thing from the heart? The Puritans used to say you replace it with a more beautiful thing. Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever is just, you think, you ponder, you meditate on these things. You remember, Psalm 143 says, remember these things. You remember when you were in high school, college, single, married without kids, married when your kids were little. You remember all the blessings through every season of your life. You stop, you ponder that with someone else. By yourself, you journal, you remember, you think on these things, you replace anxiety with something better. Now, what does that look like? I want to give you two things. Again, if you take notes, you can write these two things down. The first one is this, that we would at times replace technology. Replace technology, that we would find times to be fully present, to ponder, to see beauty. We would create a few distraction-free zones in our lives. We see this throughout scripture. You see Moses leading his people out of Egypt into what? The wilderness. Right? You see David talking about the cleft of the rock, hiding in that place, a distraction-free zone. You see Hosea, God pursues him in the desert. You see Jesus going off to desolate places to pray, that you would at some times, I'm not saying all the time, I know you got a job, I know you got a career, I know you got people that you need to get in contact with you on your phone, but at sometimes you would replace technology. I know for me, one of these things is going on a hike. And for me, the reason I have to go on a hike is because my mind is always racing. I'm always thinking about the next thing. And so for me, I have to get away, get on a mountain so my mind can become clear, a distraction-free zone. And for some of you, it may be hiking, it may be something else, but the reality is if you don't begin to put these things in your life, God will put them in your life for you, and it will be painful. You're going to burn out at some point. We've all seen it. Right? You're going to stop at some point. Now, it may not be voluntary, but it will happen. You think about Psalm 23. Love that verse, right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We got coffee mugs, paintings with that scripture on it, right? But if you look at it more closely, he makes me lie down in green pastures. How do you make somebody lie down? You tackle them. Right? I mean, if, you, if somebody is standing up and you make them lie down, 
That's not a peaceful process. That's a violent process that God will make you lie down. He'll make you have some technology-free zones. Why don't you just put some in place before he does that? So sometimes we replace technology. We did this as a staff this week. We had a tech-free staff meeting. We were all sweating, right? I, I don't... What about our notes? Like, they're all in our computers. Like, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to, how are people going to meet Jesus? How are we going to grow the church without our phone? And we just, we just rested in that awkwardness, right? We spent two minutes just praying silently. Not out loud. Silently. It was awkward. But it was good. We talked about, what did, what, what happened? Just, this is a free place, a safe place, staff meeting at a church, right? What, what did God do in those two minutes where we were just all silent? What did you think about? Some of us thought about our day. Some of us were convicted that we don't read the word enough. But it was so good and healthy for our souls to replace technology. What, what is that for you? Maybe it's walking and praying for five minutes before you come back from lunch. Maybe it's, it's thinking in terms of a block, like, Around my office, there's a, a block. I can just walk that block. And before I put the headphones in and disengage, I'm going to engage God. And just from this block to that block, I'm going to pray for my coworkers. I'm going to pray for my boss. I'm going to pray for the rest of my day and all that I have to get done. What if you replace technology at different times? Again, that book in the lobby, I've said it a few times, it's helpful in giving you these practicalities that I can't squeeze into a 40-minute sermon. Grab that book and go on this journey to replace technology at certain times of your day. The second thing is redeem technology. Again, technology is not evil in and of itself. It can be redeemed. How? Simple question you'd want to ask as you engage technology is, will this, this screen, this laptop, this experience, this picture, this post, will this Create less anxiety and more peace? Will it create less anxiety and more peace? Or will it do the opposite? That's one way you can redeem technology. You can look at Facebook Live and watch sermons. You can listen to podcasts. For me, that's the only way I hear sermons. I preach on Sundays. So I podcast, technology, redeeming that time for me looks like sitting under the preaching of God's word from other people. I'm so thankful for technology in that way. There's so many great podcasts you can listen to that will bring less anxiety and more peace. There's music, Christ-centered, Bible-saturated music you can listen to. It's an amazing thing. Engage in that. Even Google can be redemptive. I, I know, just bear with me. Google is probably the number one way people find our church. Some of you are thinking, that's how I found the church, Tim. Like, I look up Bible-based church in Phoenix, and there you guys are. And so I came. I think of one couple in particular. They were in another state, and they found our church. And they began to look at our website, listen to the sermons online. And they were a younger couple, and they were just thinking, where can we move on a map there? And they engaged with Phoenix Bible Church through Google online. And part of the reason they moved here was because of that. And they came here, and they got involved in our church, and it changed their lives. My wife went through a Bible study with the wife, 
And they went through the book of Ephesians, that glorious book about the glorious grace of God. And as she began to engage in this scripture with my wife and go on this journey, she began to talk about, I've never looked at scripture like this before. I've never heard the gospel like this before. How did that all start? Google, a website, redeem technology, invite people to church, share images online from our Facebook page, invite people to church, invite them into this space where they're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Redeem technology. And I know this is scary. I know this is not a hypothetical world. All of us do have jobs that require us to be on screens. All of us, listen, all of us have times in our life where we need a screen. Like all of us are at the grocery store with our kids or somebody else's kids. If you don't have kids, you're like, somebody give them a screen. You're just like, I just need to give them this for a little while to distract them so I can brush my teeth. Right? All of us go through that, parent or not. You're looking at scores on your phone. Listen, I'm not condemning those types of things. I know it's hard. Like I'm a pastor, but I'm a person. I engage in those same battles that you do. I know this is hard. But just what if today was a platform, a launching pad to begin to replace technology at times and redeem it always? Like what if? What if you decided today, I'm going to give God my technology. I'm going to go on a journey to engage, not exit, but to engage technology in a healthy way. And the way I'm going to do that is give God my technology. My work laptop, my personal cell phone, my video games, my Netflix. I'm just going to today, God, whatever you want me to do to engage in that in a healthy way, I'm just going to give that to you. And I know for some of you, you're like, Tim, if I just give my work computer up to God, like, and that may mean that I come home from work and I don't get right back on my laptop, but instead I engage my family with my full face in dinner. Like, if I just do that, I'm going to miss out on some work. I know my boss. The next morning, she's going to be like, did you not get that email that I sent at 8 p.m.? And you're going to be like, no, I didn't get it. And she's going to be like, listen, this job is a big commitment. You said you were passionate about it, but it doesn't seem like that. And you're thinking, man, if I just give my laptop to God, like, that's going to hurt my career. If I just give my phone to God, I mean, what if I do miss out on something? What if my kids need me? What if I see somebody getting robbed on my date night with my wife? And I need to call the cops. But I left my phone in the car. Tim, what if? Because that happens all the time, right? You always need to call the police, right? And some of us are just thinking we're anxious about this, like giving my technology to God, like I don't know if I can do that. But listen, you can give your technology to God just like you give everything else to God. Why? Because God is not like you. God is not like us. God's character and nature, person and work are unique. You can trust him even with your technology, with your career, with your relationships. You can trust him because he doesn't just redeem your technology. He redeems you. If you know Jesus this morning, he has redeemed you. 
that all of your sin, whether it was technology-related or not, from the day you were born to the day you die, Jesus redeems that through the cross. That if you've trusted in Jesus with all of your sin, all of your technology, all of your life, that Jesus looks at you right now and he doesn't see your sinful deeds. He sees his perfect son. He has redeemed you, all of you. Can you trust him with your technology? You're trusting with your eternity. Can you trust him with your technology? Yeah. He's good. He's faithful. He'll forgive you. He will guide you. He will lead you. He will help you in your job, in your relationships. He will equip you with everything you need for life and godliness. That's the God you entrust. That laptop, that screen, that TV. That's the God you entrust it to. Would you just make a decision to do that? There'll be some practical outworkings of that that you'll need to figure out as a family, as roommates. But today, if you would just start with that, if collectively we just gave God our technology, God would bless that and do more than we could ever ask or imagine in our technology and in our lives. Would you do that? Can we do that together? Let's pray as we do that. Father in heaven, I do pray that we would, we would have open hands right now. God, I know some of us want to have closed hands and be like, Tim, you don't understand my job. You don't understand my relationships. You don't understand what I do on my phone. And, and we have some clenched fists in this room right now. And God, I just pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, you would slowly begin to open those hands up. To open them up, not just to anybody, but to a good and righteous king who has redeemed all of our lives and all of our eternity. So God, we can give you our technology. Give us empty hands right now that we would surrender, that we would give you our lives, our technology, and that you would use that. You would redeem it for your glory and our joy. Help us not to leave this place without taking that step. God, help us to engage you fully now. We are in a distraction-free zone. Help us to embrace this moment, to worship to you, to respond to you, and give you the glory that you alone are due. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray that.